Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Standing Strong in Trying Times, a study of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel gives stories of faithful believers standing strong in trying times of exile and visions of the ultimate victory of God's kingdom over the kingdoms of this world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. All right, we're going to be uh, looking at Daniel chapter 6 today. We're continuing on in our series on Daniel, and we are halfway through the book. Uh, and I decided last week to just break down these last few verses of Daniel chapter 6, uh, in part because they're important, also in part because studying for Daniel chapter 7 verses, uh, chapter 7 to 12 takes a lot of time. So I've been trying to give myself a little bit of extra time here. Uh, to be able to do that. So this week we're just going to look at Daniel 6, 25 to 28, which wraps up the first half of the book of Daniel. So you can follow along in the booklets or up on the screen. I'll be reading the New International Version. Hear the word of the living, eternal God. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples and nations and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. When uh, I was a young midshipman at the Naval Academy a long time ago, one of the people that we studied about was a man named Admiral Stockdale. And Admiral Stockdale uh, had been a prisoner of war in Vietnam. In fact, they have a Stockdale Center over at the Academy now. Uh, after his time as a POW, he was awarded the Medal of Honor for how he conducted himself as a prisoner of war. And in fact, since he was one of the most senior prisoners of war in all of Vietnam, how he had led all of the other prisoners of war. And Admiral Stockdale uh, became well known as a, as a philosopher and a thinker uh, as he talked about the things that had happened. And one of the things that Admiral Stockdale was asked was, why did some guys survive being a POW, and some guys not. And Admiral Stockdale said there were basically three groups of prisoners of war, and two of them did not survive. Those two groups were, one group said, we will never go home. They lost hope. They were going to be prisoners of war forever. And Admiral Stockdale said they just lost hope, and they didn't make it. The other group that did not make it was those who said, oh, we're going home, we're going home by Christmas. We're going to get delivered out of this, and it's going to be a short time here. Well, Christmas came, and Christmas went, and they didn't go home. And the next Christmas came and went, and they didn't go home. And they, too, eventually lost hope and gave in. The first group, some of them even compromised themselves uh, and gave over. So those two groups didn't make it. But he said, but there's a third group that did make it through the POW experience. And what we did was we said, you know what? We are prisoners of war, but we are going to make it home. But it won't be this Christmas. 
and it probably won't be next Christmas. We don't know how long it's going to be, but we do have an unshakable faith that we will make it home. Now I bring this up because in a certain sense, that prisoner war experience that they are going through is a lot like what it's like to be in exile. And how does one survive a long exile? That's what Daniel had to go through. As we're going to see today, he had survived the entire exile. In fact, he had thrived through the entire exile. And we're going to see that Daniel's attitude was a lot like that third group in Admiral Stockdale's thing. Daniel knew the exile would end, but he knew it was not going to end soon because Jeremiah had told him it was not going to end soon. And so we want to dive in and ask ourselves, how does one thrive in exile? Because we are exiles and aliens. If Bobby had kept on reading just a couple of verses further there in 1 Peter 2. Peter actually says that I urge you as aliens, as strangers in the world. You, you are exiles. Peter does that three times in that letter. How do we, who are exiles in this world, thrive? Well, notice here in verse 28, at the end of this, the very last verse in the first half of the book, because everything's going to shift to apocalyptic visions. We're going to go from historical narrative to apocalyptic visions next. And here the final verse is this. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, or you could translate that the reign of Darius, even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Uh, sometimes that's the way that construction works. There's an Assyrian king that's given two names in this exact same construction. That's personally kind of how I think it is. I think Darius is another name for Cyrus. But in any event, notice that Daniel prospers under the Persians. It doesn't say Daniel survived, Daniel hung on, Daniel limped across the finish line. No, he prospered even during the reign of Persians. Now, consider this is Daniel who is now in his 80s. At a minimum, Daniel's about 85 years old at this point. This is also Daniel, remember this is the concluding verse in a chapter that what's the most famous part of Daniel chapter 6? The lion's den. So he's just come through the lion's den experience, but we're told that he prospers. He clearly was not enjoying time in the promised land. Everything is not wonderful. He's just come out of the lion's den. We've read, in fact, through the six chapters, many tests and trials that Daniel and his friends have had to go through, and yet Daniel is able to thrive in this pagan kingdom. And notice that he has done this throughout the entire time of exile. This is the very end of chapters 1 to 6, but if we go back to chapter 1 at the very beginning of the exile, we read in Daniel 1, 19 and 21, the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who more people know as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered in the king's service. And then in verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's possible that the other three had already died because again, they would have been up in their 80s. But Daniel prospers, notice, from Nebuchadnezzar through all the kings of Babylon, through Belshazzar, the final king, uh, who had tried to shunt Daniel aside, who Daniel had to read the writing uh, on the wall to, and Babylon falls, and then Persia rises, and Daniel is still there 
thriving. And when it says that he does it all the way into the reign of King Cyrus, any Jew reading that doesn't say, well, who's King Cyrus? See, you and I, if I were to start asking y'all questions, you probably couldn't pass a history test on King Cyrus. Every Jew could have. They knew who Cyrus was. He was famous because Cyrus is the one who sent the Jews back to the promised land. In fact, the Hebrew Old Testament does not end with the book of Malachi like ours does. In the Hebrew Bible, it actually ends with 2 Chronicles. Just one of the little quirks. It ends with 2 Chronicles, and these are the final verses in the Hebrew Old Testament. And 2 Chronicles 36, verses 22 and 23. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now, what's interesting is, number one, Daniel saw Cyrus give this decree. He was there when he was led away in shackles from Jerusalem. He was in Babylon when he heard that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem, that the temple had been destroyed. He had seen all the articles from the temple actually carried off by Nebuchadnezzar himself. He had heard that he was going to be there for 70 years. And Daniel, as an old man, 85 years old, lives and sees Cyrus write the decree. Daniel outlives the exile. And he was able to thrive during the entire period of the exile. See, this is why I thought of uh, Admiral Stockdale when I heard this. It's one thing to thrive for a week or a month. It's another thing to thrive for basically your entire life. And that's what Daniel's had to do. So how did he do this? Well, we're going to look and learn some principles from Darius's decree that he sends out. And we're going to look and get a theology for thriving in exile. Now, one might ask, and this is always so important, always ask when I'm preaching, am I correctly teaching the Bible or am I misusing it? There, there's a lot of preaching that goes on today that I listen and I'm like, you know, that's not a bad point, and it's even biblically true. Unfortunately, it has nothing to do with the text you're talking about, okay? Don't want to do that. That's bad. So one might ask, well, Brett, why are you getting this idea of thriving out of exile? Isn't this basically a decree of praise to God? And it is. And in fact, if you tune into After Hours that Margot mentioned was the first thing she'd heard, I've already recorded this morning, I'm going to talk about principles of worship that come out of it because it clearly is a proclamation of praise and worship to God. But I want you to remember that here what we're given is this decree, and it's at this key hinge point, and it's a key hinge point for two reasons. Number one, the exile is ending the people are being offered to be able to go back home. But number two, it's ending the first half of the book. The first six chapters are historical narrative, 
And then chapters 7 through 12 jump back in time to various points in those chapters with visions that Daniel's been given, and it all moves to apocalyptic. So these verses are, in essence, a summary of everything that's gone on before. They're not just there as some general word of praise. They are praised specifically in light of what God has done for the people. uh, Darius is speaking better than he knows. He's referencing what happened to Daniel in the lion's den, but he's actually recapitulating everything that's gone on through Daniel's entire time in exile. And so the writer of scripture, ultimately God, is giving us this and saying, you've seen Daniel's experience in exile. You've seen how Daniel did it. How do you live in exile? Let me sum it up for you in a few words. And that's what we have here in this text. So I'm not trying to wrench it out. There really are principles here because it's a summary of what's gone on in the first six chapters. So let me give several things that this text tells us. Number one, to thrive, exiles must labor to see others experience shalom. And you might be surprised by this, but this is a principle and it's exactly what Daniel has done his whole time. Notice how the decree begins. Darius writes and says, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language. Does that phrase sound familiar to anybody? Have we heard those kind of phrases before? Like, like when we began the meeting, who's, who's worshiping around the throne? People from every, uh, the Lamb has redeemed people from every language and tribe and nation. Same thing here. Darius is writing and says, I'm writing to all of you and here's what I want. I want you to prosper greatly. Now, what's interesting is he wants to see them prosper, but this is not the same word as the word prosper in verse 28, where we're told that Daniel prospered. This is actually the Aramaic word that is related to Aramaic and Hebrew or sister languages. This is the word shalom. It's the Aramaic word. It is the word shalom. I want you all to experience shalom. And I want that shalom to go to all peoples, all nations, all languages. Now, this should remind us from when we go back to the beginning of the series I mentioned, you remember when the people went into exile? Jeremiah had to write them because some of the people said, I'm not even unpacking my suitcase because I'm going home. Those are the ones who didn't make it, okay? And some of the people said, well, we're here, our God lost, we're going to compromise. They didn't make it either. But there's another group that Jeremiah wrote to, and he told them this in Jeremiah 29, 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Those words that I've got up there in yellow, peace and prosperity, prospers and prosper. They are all the word shalom. In fact, the first time where it's peace and prosperity, that's the NIV just trying to say, how do we put this into English? You're praying for the shalom of the city where I have sent you in exile. Realize how radical this is. There are prophets telling them, don't even unpack your bags. God's taking you home. These dumb Babylonians that got you here, he's bringing you back to the promised land. Jeremiah says, "Uh, no, you're not. Your children are not. Your grandchildren will get to go home. 70 years. And here's what you're going to do in the meantime. You're not going to refer to them as dumb Babylonians. You're not going to fold your arms and have nothing to do with them. You are going to seek, you are going to pray that they might have shalom. 
That's the place where I have sent you into exile. And notice, they're not only seeking shalom for themselves, they are told to seek shalom for Babylon. They are told to pray for shalom for Babylon. You got to hear how radical this is. Really, Lord? I was sitting at home in Jerusalem and this guy showed up and carted me off and made me come here. And now you're telling me I'm to pray for him? I'd like to pray for him, all right. Okay? No, and God says, no, you're not going to pray an imprecatory psalm for him. You're going to pray that they would experience shalom. And you know what? This should be a reminder to God's people, because remember at the beginning of this, we looked, and Daniel 1-2 said that they were carried back to Shinar. Where is Shinar? Literally, the NIV translated as Babylon, but what happened in Shinar? The Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, you remember God reached down, and coming out of Babel, he grabbed one man and made covenant with him. And who was that man? Abram. And here's God's covenant with Abram that he made with him as he was coming out of Babylon. Now they're back in Babylon. Listen to the same words. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, he says, Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Who likes the blessing of God? And I want the blessing of God. But notice what he goes on and says. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, which isn't a, I'm going to go. This is God saying, you don't need to worry about it. I will take care of you. I've got your back. You worry about being a blessing. And notice how he continues it. And all peoples on earth. How many peoples? All. Every language, every nation, every tribe. All of them are going to bless through you. So God is telling Abram, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm going to give you all of my covenant blessings. I'm going to pour out so much blessing on you, Abraham. And here's what you're supposed to do. You don't have to worry about anything. If anybody is after you, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. All you have to worry about doing is how you can take the blessing I give you and get it to others. That's your call. You're going to be blessed. Go be a does that sound familiar to anybody? If it doesn't, I'm going to start hollering at y'all. Because we say it every single week, right? I, I do this every week. We're going to end the meeting today. Go forth, bless. Go forth and be a... Okay, I didn't make that up. That's God's call to Abraham. And here we are back in Babylon. He's given him the same call. Remember, I told you, you all were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. In fact, because you were being unfaithful to me, you were being the opposite. But I want you to know, I am still in covenant with you. You've misunderstood much of it. Here's the heart. You are called to be a blessing to all. That's your call. Now, God blesses his people so that we can be a blessing to others. And there is no question, the primary blessing is the gospel. No other blessing would matter if we weren't made right with God. And I'm not just saying this on my own, this is how the New Testament interprets that verse. Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing, and in verse 8, he says this. Another little lesson, by the way, just a little Bible lesson here. If you want to know what an Old Testament verse means, see how the New Testament reads it. And that's how you read it. Don't say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I think it ought to be taken a different. No, the New Testament tells you what it means. 
So here's what that verse means. Galatians 3.8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. The word is ethne, ethnicities, nations. He will justify them by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. If we read Genesis 12 and we're not hearing gospel, we're not reading it right. It's about the gospel. God wants to bless them with the gospel. He's telling us that the primary blessing envisioned is that Abraham is justified. He's made right with God. Not because of anything Abraham did. Stephen tells us he was just a wandering Aramean who was a pagan. God justified Abraham. And notice, Abraham hasn't obeyed, he hasn't offered Isaac, he hasn't been circumcised, he hasn't done anything yet. God just taps him on the shoulder one day and says, I've decided to make you mine. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to justify you, and I want you to pass that on. So God's exile people must always reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ to the people around them, even if they are persecuting us for doing so. Our Love and concern and extension of the gospel is not because they're treating us right. It's because God has justified us. God didn't justify you because you were a good deal for him. Okay, where's an amen? Okay, he didn't, Jesus didn't rejoice and say, oh, the kingdom was a mess and I got bread now. Everything's going to be okay. Okay, that is not it. He extended grace and mercy to a wicked sinner who did not deserve it who had by the way made fun of christians thought all that stuff was crazy until i didn't because somebody extended mercy to me and so it doesn't matter we extend the gospel even to our babylonian captors and I want you to consider, to see how this is going on in the story of Daniel. Is this not exactly what Daniel has done? From the very beginning in Daniel chapter 1, the steward gets to see, wow, these guys ate this nothing meal. They didn't eat all the good food, and yet they're doing better after just 10 days. And Nebuchadnezzar, who takes multiple times to get it because he's not real bright, but Nebuchadnezzar keeps seeing, and by the end, the last things we read from Nebuchadnezzar is he's writing a song of praise just like Darius is. And now we're all the way down in the Persian Empire, and Darius very quickly has figured out, man, something is going on with this guy, Daniel. And there's no way to read Darius's words unless Daniel just ghost wrote them for him. Daniel has obviously been sharing with Darius who the true God is because his, his praise sounds like a psalm. Daniel is influencing all these people in the land of his exile. And so we're going to work to get the gospel out. But we also are to labor to bless others through our callings and acts of service, working for the good of the city of our exile, just like Daniel did. Because what did Daniel do every morning when he got up? He went down and he worked for the king. I remind you, not the one he voted for, because oddly enough, he didn't get to vote, okay? Because believe it or not, democracy is not actually in the Bible, okay? I like it as a system, but it didn't matter. He didn't get to vote for who was king. He had a calling, 
And he served in that calling. And he labored and he worked because he said, I want to see first Babylon, now a completely different kingdom, but I want them to prosper. I want them to experience shalom. I want them to be blessed. And so I'm going to use my callings. Daniel served in the king's court so that his exile land would prosper. And you and I are called to labor in our callings and via acts of service to be a blessing to our city of exile. Again, this is why I thank our congregation. As soon as COVID hit, we were out trying to start doing pop-up pantries. Why? Because we're called to be a blessing. We're not here to say, hey, we hate Annapolis. That's not our call. This is our city of exile. I want it to prosper. I want it to be blessed. And I don't want them to say, oh boy, here comes Bay Ridge Christian Church again. This is trouble. I hope they say, man, those people love. Those people serve. They are here caring for us. So we must never, as the people of God, restrict the blessings of God for ourselves, but rather actively seek to be a blessing to our land of exile. Always. We are blessed, even in exile, and we are on mission in our land of exile. I, I could keep preaching on that. Second point that we will move on to, and I'm going to move through these actually a little bit more quickly, but to thrive, exiles must remember that our God is the living, eternal God. Notice there in verse 26, he refers to fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. See, our God is the only actual living God. Darius is familiar with all kinds of other gods. Persia and Babylon have got more gods than they got towns. They're everywhere, but they're not alive. They're dead. Our God is the living God. And there's also a play I want you to understand here on the greeting. Whenever you walked into the king's presence back then, you would say, O king, live forever. And then the king would grow old and die, despite how many ever times you said it. But see, there is one who does live forever. And it's not the king of Babylon or Persia. It is our God. Human kings are all mortal and they are all going to die. Our God is the source of all life and he is the eternal God. He is the only completely self-existent, self-sufficient being in the entire universe. Everyone else is derivative from our God. And we have to remind ourselves for this. If we are going to be faithful and thrive in our exile, we have to constantly commune with God so that we remember who he is and the limited nature and power of the humans all around us. Because see, when you're Daniel and you work every day and you've got the king and everybody comes in and they're falling down before him and his word seems to be life or death, you start thinking he's something he's not. And is that not a problem for us? See, we read and hear all this other stuff. We, we've got to get into our mind what C.S. Lewis talked about. We think this is real and the kingdom is shadowed. We're wrong. The kingdom of God is real. This is the shadow lands. The, the eternal kingdom is not less real. It's more real. All of this stuff is fading. 
All of this stuff is going. But we've got to remind ourselves by communing with God daily that when we come out of his presence, we can stand in the presence of the king and say, I honor you, I respect you, it's part of my calling as a citizen, but I realize you are limited, you are mortal. I've been with the one who is living and eternal. That's how you can be Daniel and you can thrive. The next thing is to thrive exiles. We not only are seeking to be a blessing, we're not only remembering that our God is a living, eternal God. To thrive exiles must remember that the kingdoms of this world pass away, but the kingdom of God endures forever. And we're going to see this again in chapter 7 all the way through chapter 12. This is one of the key themes in all of Daniel. So notice here at the end in Daniel 6, 26, we read, his kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. Now see, this was the lesson back in Daniel 2. You remember that first vision that Nebuchadnezzar had that troubled him. There was the statue with the four types of things and everything else. And the whole meaning of it was kingdoms of man come and they go. They fail. They pass away. But God is going to establish an eternal kingdom in the days of the fourth kingdom. We're going to get to that next week in the Roman Empire. He's going to establish an eternal kingdom that will grow and will live forever. And at this point in the narrative, Babylon has already fallen. We're going to find out in chapter 7 and 8 that Persia is going to fall to Alexander the Great and Greece. And then Greece is going to fall to the Romans. And then the Romans are going to fall as well because the very nature of all human kingdoms is they are limited and they are temporary. And we need to remember that because the problem is when kings start figuring out the limits of their power and their temper, they're like little children. They start throwing temper tantrums. And it usually can get very rough being around them. But we need to be the ones who've communed with God and just say, you know what? You may seem fearsome. You may even kill this body. You might throw me in that fire, Nebuchadnezzar, and God might choose not to save me. But know this, your kingdom's going to fall. But I serve a king and a kingdom that are eternal. It will never, ever, ever end. Do, do you hear how this relates back to Admiral Stockdale? Okay, you, you got to know which kingdom is eternal. You got to know which God is really in charge or in power, or else we don't thrive in the exile, friends. It's too easy to compromise. It's too easy to lose heart. And then the last thing is to thrive, exiles have to remember that our God rescues and he saves his people. He's not only living and eternal, it's not only that his kingdom is eternal, but it's that God rescues and saves. Daniel 6, 27, Darius has seen this. He says he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. See, because our God is the living, eternal, powerful, omnipotent God, he is able to rescue and save his people. And Daniel is a prime example of that. Daniel there in the lion's den, as we saw last week, is a prime example of God's power to save, to reach out and to keep us. And he did this with Daniel, not just in the lion's den, but throughout the whole time of the exile. I mean, if we'd have been there, on that day that they're dragging Daniel away in chains and dragging him off to Babylon, and I said, we're going to take bets. Who thinks this guy will outlast Babylon? Nobody would have bet that. 
But he did. He did outlast Babylon because his God rescued and he saved in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he saved the compatriots in chapter 3. He saved them through chapter 4 and 5. Every time God saved Daniel, and then he did again in chapter 6. Throughout history, God has delivered his exile people of faith, protecting them from their enemies and even allowing them to thrive against all odds. This is part of the message of Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, uh, near the end, Daniel is actually referenced. Listen, starting in verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames. Who's he thinking about? I mean, this isn't hard, right? This is Daniel. Daniel 6 and Daniel 3. And they escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. So he's looking at Daniel and he's saying, God has acted in this way and rescued his people down through the ages, even in the worst of times. We have a God who is not limited. There is no time, there is no place that he cannot exercise his sovereign will and rescue and save. And many preachers will stop there because that's a nice message. Unfortunately, that's not where that verse in Hebrews stops. This is one of the places where I wonder, like, dude, why didn't you break the verse at least right there? But he didn't. This is the last half of verse 35. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two which tradition tells us is probably Isaiah the prophet. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. And here's the message, friend. This didn't happen because they had less faith. And it didn't happen because all of a sudden they were in a fix that God couldn't get them out of. God in his sovereignty chose to deliver one and the other one to deliver through death. Notice the phrase there that they refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. The hope that sustained them was the resurrection. This is exactly what the three told Nebuchadnezzar. O king, if you throw us in the fire, our God can save us. But know this, even if he chooses not to, we will not bend, we will not bow, we will not compromise our faith. Because they're trusting in the resurrection. Just like we've already been told early in the chapter, Abraham had done. Abraham takes Isaac. God says it's through Isaac. The gospel will go through Isaac. The only hope is through Isaac. The Messiah is going to come through Isaac. Kill Isaac. And the writer to Hebrews says, Abraham reasoned God can raise Isaac from the dead. He must. What other choice is there? Because if it's going to come through Isaac and Isaac is dead, God's going to have to raise him back from the dead. The resurrection is the hope. And see, this goes back again to Admiral Stockdale's example. Those who think they will always be delivered 
are going to compromise when deliverance doesn't come quick enough. And those who uh, forget ultimate deliverance are going to lose hope. But if we remember there is ultimate deliverance, because friend, it does not matter what, if the president called me today and gave me every favor that the president of the United States could possibly give me, I'm still going to die. And he cannot deliver me from that. And everything else pales in comparison. What are you going to do with death? Because it is coming. For every one of us, it's going to come. And the hope that sustains through that is that our God does rescue and save. Some he chooses to rescue from the lions, some he allows to be eaten, and he gives them a better resurrection. That is what we are told. So, how do we apply this? This is Darius's decree. What does it mean to us? First question, and it's kind of in reverse order of what we went through. We're going to do a little bit of a chiasm here. We talked about blessing and then kind of the, the things we need to learn about who God is. We're going to now focus first on who God is. Am I saturating myself regarding God's true nature? See, the experience of exile can make God seem impotent or distant. Remember, when Daniel first gets led there, what is Babylon telling him? Is Babylon saying, hey, we still know your God's real and greater than our God's? Is that what they're saying the whole time? See, they're telling him every day in every way. See, no, your God lost. Our gods are greater than your gods. Every day, Daniel's got to walk into work. For 70 years, he's got to walk past their pagan idols. He's got to read all the descriptions about how great their gods are and how their gods have struck down everybody else, including he's got to read the list. We actually have the cylinders where they wrote it down and said, hey, we struck down Judah. When you hear that day after day after day, God can start to seem impotent. He can start to seem distant. The forces against us can start to seem big, and God can start to seem small unless we purposefully saturate ourselves in the truth of God's nature, his character, and his work. We have to remind ourselves every single day who he is, what he is like, what he has done. And might I say, this is why exiles gather for worship. This is why we do, to be reminded of the truth, to worship God, to encourage one another to stand strong, and to receive God's grace for our pilgrim journey. This is why we pray so regularly for the persecuted church. This is why I urge you every day right now, I am praying for the church in Afghanistan. But I want you to know something. They will gather even at the cost of their lives, because they can't afford not to. How do you remain faithful in that exile? You got to gather together. You got to be encouraged by one another. You got to come draw strength at the table of God. That's a hard exile our brothers and sisters are going through. But it's not just Afghanistan. Every day, today, I will guarantee you, Take it to the bank. A brother or sister of yours will die in Nigeria. They're going to. But they're going to gather. 
because it's what keeps us going through the exile. So do I make gathering with God's people the highest priority? Or does it fit in when it fits in? Because friends, I'm telling you, see, this is the difference. If we really get the exile, if you really get Jeremiah's letter, this is, this is a lifelong thing for you and me. And, and times may get more difficult. When we get that, that affects, and I say, I can't afford to not gather with the people of God. Nothing is as important as gathering with the people of God. If I told you you're going to get on a boat and go across Chesapeake Bay, when you land on the other side, you're going to be attacked, and I'm going to explain to you how to survive the attack, I don't think you'd be watching something else. You wouldn't be doing social media. You wouldn't be taking a nice day for a picnic. You'd be paying attention with everything inside you because you want to survive. Friends, we need to gather with God's people and nothing can get in the way. And let me be blunt. This isn't me as the preacher saying this because that's the way I am as a preacher. Ask my wife and my kids. I was this way long before I was a preacher. Since I got saved at 16 years old, you gather with the people of God. Come hell or high water, I'm going to be with the people of God because I need it. Now, flip side is not just gathering with God's people, but do I spend more time in God's word meditating on his nature, character, and work, or keeping up with the latest cultural and political news? Now I'm messing around. I know. I've gone to meddling. Do I spend more time focusing on who God is, gathering near him, or saying, you know what my Facebook feed just told me? That idiot over there in Congress just did this again. Because whichever you're doing is wiring your mind. And let me tell you, whatever the fools in D.C. are doing is not going to make you survive the exile. I'm telling you, Daniel spent more time meditating on God's word and communing with God than he did stomping around and saying, Nebuchadnezzar's up at it again. Because you know what his honest attitude was? Of course Nebuchadnezzar's up at it again. He's Nebuchadnezzar. Do I spend more time saturating in the word of God. I need my mind renewed every day. I've been laboring hard since 1978 to get this mind renewed, and I've still got to wake up every morning and get it renewed again, reoriented again. Which are we doing? I want to encourage you this week, saturate yourself in the truth of God. Saturate yourself in the presence of God every day. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you should wake up and say, hello, Babylon. Because it's where you are, friend. And you better get up and get oriented right off so that we can be faithful in exile. Second question, and we come to the Lord's table. Am I actively praying and laboring to spread God's blessings to others? See, I flipped it because as I meditate, as I'm saturated in the word of God, then again, the, the goal isn't just, hey, well, this is good for me. Too bad for all those other people. 
No, as I recognize the nature and character of my God, that he causes his reign to fall on the righteous and on the evil, I want to pass the blessing of God on. The universe is built with the principle that there must be expansion for life to flourish. Something that is stagnant, something that is not passing it on, is dying. Whatever is static and doesn't allow pass-through is dead or dying. I've mentioned before the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Same river, only difference is one lets things go through and one keeps it to itself. That's the one we call the Dead Sea. You take God's blessing, you hoard them, you're dying. God will bless you and me, but he blesses us so we can pass it on. And not only is that a universal principle, it's built into the covenant of God. It has always called us to the mission of passing on God's blessing to others. There's a certain way you can read the Old Testament that Israel is called to be a priest to the nations. They're called to represent God to the nations. They're called to take the gospel to the nations. And when they don't, God sends them out into the nations. You can read church history the same way. The church is vibrant. The church is reaching out. The church is trying to expand the gospel. And then we get a little fat, dumb, and happy, and we just want to keep the barbarians on the borders. And if you don't go to the barbarians, what happens? And let me be blunt. God brings the barbarians to you. And then if the barbarian... The Germanic barbarians convert, and then we get fat, dumb, and happy. Then who does God bring to the people that were formerly Germanic barbarians? The Vikings will come to you. Today, if we don't go to the world of Islam, I'll let you finish the sentence. Friends, are we going to be a blessing or not? And whether we are is not dependent on what they're thinking or doing. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what Babylon is doing. Doesn't matter what Persia is doing. It matters what's going on inside us. God's call for exile specifically commands us to pray and to seek, to actively labor, to experience, for our, the land of our exile, to experience God's shalom. So let me bring this down to a couple of questions when we come to the table. Do I actively pray for our country? Do I pray for our country and its leaders? Whether I like the person there or not. See, my prayers did not change last November. They just didn't. Because it doesn't matter who's in the White House or who's in Congress. I pray for our country and I pray for our leaders because it's the land of my exile. And I want it to experience God's shalom. And I don't, by the way, this is just a little tip for prayer, Prayer is not me giving God advice how to run the universe. I know this because I've done it. And usually he says, well, that was a waste of 20 minutes. Thank you. I think I know how to run the universe on my own. I kept trying to give him my advice, but for some reason he's pretty confident, he's, he's secure, that he can run the universe without my advice. Can you believe it? I mean, just. It's not time for us to tell God what to do. It's time for us to pray for God to do his work. May his kingdom come. May his will be done. May he work in our midst. Do I not only pray, do I actively look for ways to promote the common good? If you're looking for ways, just 
Look around the church. They're going to they're gonna be there where we are working. Whether that is us out sharing the gospel next week. Normally, as you know, during COVID, we, before COVID, we had winter relief where we would host 25 or 30 homeless folks here for a week that didn't fit in the shelter. Every month, we're down there at the Lighthouse Shelter. You can still sign up and be involved in those. We may be making meals for Lighthouse, I mean, for winter relief, even though they're not going to be having it again this year in Annapolis. We usually try to have the, the, the spring egg hunt. We are involved in pop-up pantries. There are plenty of ways just right here with the congregation you can be involved in working for the common good. You can also just hear from God and do it on your own. Just say, I just want to labor and work for the common good. But am I actively doing that? See, th notice that word in Jeremiah. I love it. Seek the good. Seek. Shalom for them. It doesn't say just sit back and let it happen. Seek it. Actively labor for it. Am I doing that? And in relation to that, because the greatest good is the gospel, do I actively pray and look for opportunities to share the gospel with the lost around me? Now, we may say, oh, but the people around me, you just don't know. They're just not really open. Can I point out, nor was Nebuchadnezzar, nor was Darius. It's not like they were like, oh, Daniel, explain to us the wisdom of your God who we struck down. That's the way they viewed it. Daniel actively prayed and sought and looked and labored. Am I doing the same? Am I praying for open opportunities to reach out with the gospel? Because it's the greatest blessing we have. We want to bless in every way, but friends, if we don't bless with the gospel, it won't get out. Only we can do it. So in summary, I want to remind you, here's how you thrive in exile. You are blessed by God. Whether you're in exile or not, you're blessed. So be a blessing. That's what God calls us to. So we're going to come to the Lord's table. And at this table, we're going to do some of what we just talked about. We're going to rehearse the faith. We are going to commune with God and we are going to receive strength for our journey. And so what we're going to do to actually rehearse the faith to begin with is, I'm going to ask you all to stand up, and we're going to rehearse the Apostles' Creed. Last week we did Psalm 23. Today we're going to rehearse this summary of the faith that has been handed down from ancient times. And I want you to see it deals, you know, there's three sections that deal with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But it also deals with creation. It deals with the redemption that is worked for us by Jesus Christ. And then it deals with how we walk as the people of God in our exile, in the communion of saints, waiting for the resurrection of the dead that is going to come our way. It uh, deals with what God has done in the past, the present, and the future. So these are the words that summarize our faith, friends. And I want to encourage us read and state this, do it with gusto, do it with faith, because this is the faith that has survived God's exile people. When these words were formulated almost 2,000 years ago by the early church, people didn't think the church was going to make it. Rome was going to crush the church. Well, I've been to Rome. I've walked in the Colosseum, and it crumbled, and here we are still reciting the faith once for all given to the saints. So let's recite the Apostles' Creed together.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. And I, I encourage you, those words we just recited, some people struggle, and I'll, I'll point out again, when it references there that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, that's not the Roman Catholic Church. That means the universal church. Because you know what's great about those words we just recited? Christians who speak languages you and I don't understand have recited those same words. People in very different situations and circumstances have recited those same words because we've looked and said, this is the faith. This is what I believe. So to all of you who confess this faith and believe in Jesus Christ and confess that faith once for all delivered to the saints, hear Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, what I receive from the Lord I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from it, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters of my exile, this is our meal until the Lord comes and takes us home. Go ahead and take back the, the first piece to get the bread out. Father, you are the living God, and you endure forever. You are the almighty creator of heaven and earth, who called forth all that exists from nothing. You are the almighty God of providence, ruling and sustaining all creation, giving us life and breath and everything else. We take this bread in faith, recognizing in it your provision for all of our needs, both body and soul. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. 
Jesus, you are the living God enduring forever and your kingdom will never be destroyed. As for the kingdoms of this world, they will all fade away, but you will reign forever and ever for none can stand against your will. And yet, when we were rebels against your will, you took our flesh and came to rescue us. Your blood was spilled so that we might be saved, delivered from the great lion Satan and his kingdom, and brought into the kingdom of God as citizens and heirs. So we take this cup in faith, publicly professing that our rescue is wholly your work, and humbly confessing that we have no hope of salvation other than your holy blood. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together as I conclude with a prayer for the Holy Spirit to come upon us in power. And I encourage you again, we do some of these things in a similar manner each week. Please never let them be ritual. Cry out with me for the Spirit of God to come and empower you for your exile. Holy Spirit, you are the living God, enduring forever, and your kingdom will never be destroyed. By you, we have been regenerated, united with Christ, and brought into the church. O Spirit of God, sustain us in our exile. Open our eyes to see our great God. Renew our minds by the word of God. Stir up faith in our hearts to claim the promises of God. Flow through us as a river of living water, releasing the blessings of God through us to others, that we might see the shalom of God in the city of our exile. We ask all of this in the glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you agree, say, Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, receive the blessing of God. God says to you as exiled people, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.